say the game is getting old Monday morning and your coffee's cold Life is not what Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and holy cow, do we have a show for you. Folks, let me just tell you something. I have read a lot of books on this show. You know, I've, I've, I've read over 200, I've, I've interviewed over 250 authors on this show, right? And I've read every book. There comes a book every now and then where I have to just sit down and go, whoa, that blew my mind. The voice of the underdog did that for me uh, this past week. How challenger brands create distinction by thinking culture first. We've done a lot of shows on culture. We've done some shows on branding. I've never done a show on the underdog brand, the challenger brand, the brand that's not the leader, but wants more. I've never, I've never done a show like that. And, and perhaps this book was more meaningful to me because I understand it as uh, a business owner being a challenger brand. Uh, as a as a TV show host, right? Because the show is on DBTV worldwide and trying to grow the show, right? As a challenger brand, perhaps it meant more meaning to me that as a as a business life coach, you know, growing his business constantly as a challenger brand, you know, as a speaker who's trying to achieve more speaking as a challenger brand, even as an author who's written books and wants to do more with that, sees himself as a challenger brand. And perhaps that's why the book meant more to me. But then as I kept reading it and reading it and digging into it, and I read went through it twice before the show, it became clear to me that it was more than just my personal uh, feelings and issues in regard to being a challenger brand. But it was that there is something fundamentally, ethically, morally, and right about everything these two authors speak in the voice of the underdog. And it touched me uh, emotionally, certainly, but it did touch me spiritually. And it certainly touched me intellectually, but it has moved me physically to want to take action in the right direction. And I I think that today's show is gonna do that for you. I, I, I believe it with all my heart, with all my soul, I just believe that uh, if you will pay attention to the show and listen to Mike Tuggle, who's going to join me, who's one of the co-authors of the book, you're you're going to be changed. You're going to look at your business in a different way. You're going to think differently. I promise you, you will. We're going to get to Mike, Michael Tuggle. But before we do that, let's do what we do every week, right? We are four-part people. We're physical, mental, emotional, spiritual people. The fact of the matter is we are never sedentary. We We, we just can't live and just think that, well, we're just going to improve without some work in every one of those areas every single day. So we have a method on the show is that we have a scale of one to 10, one being whatever the area is, I'm miserable at it, 10 means I'm great. Now, if you're a two, it, we're not judging you here. It's not what we do here. What we do is we wanna help you find a way to get better. You know, what can you do to improve? You know, what can you be self-aware enough to improve? So here's how it works. So if it's in the physical area, what we do is on a scale of one to 10, how would you evaluate your exercise, your diet, eating right, uh, drinking enough water, getting enough sleep. Scale of 1 to 10, how would you evaluate yourself, right? All right, so if it's a 2, let's say you're a 2 or a 3, right, or 4, right, 5 being average. 
what, what could you do? Even if you're seven, what could you do right now to change something in your physical area that can make a difference? That's what we're after. All right. So whatever your physical number is right now, that's your first number. Second number is your mental intellectual number, right? And and what am I asking for here? I'm asking you not to be a couch potato and let things come at you. I'm asking you to be an active participant in your growth of your knowledge and your understanding, both personally and professionally. I want you to uh, do something that's going to work both halves of your brain. Your, your your right side being your creative side, your left side being your logical side. You know, a great way to do that: read a book. Like this is a great way to do that. Learn an instrument. Take up a foreign language. There are a variety of ways that you can enhance you and your intellectual ability. And by the way, before any of you say, I'm retired and I'm too old, stop it. You may not be able to dunk a basketball anymore, but I can tell you this, you can always exercise your mind. All right, so that's your second number. Third number is your emotional number. Real simply, how well are you able to control your emotions under stress and pressure? And secondly, how well are you able to tap into and understand the emotions of others? By the way, critical part of being a successful underdog brand is to completely understand the emotions of your consumer, but more so, and probably more important, is the emotions of your employees. How well are you able to tap into them? Do they feel safe psychologically? Are you vulnerable? How's your storytelling been to make that emotional connection? All right, that's your third number. Fourth number is spiritual number. You know what? Spiritual stuff, people feel uncomfortable with. I don't, because the truth of the matter is everything we do is spiritual. It's got some spiritual thing attached to it. The fact of the matter is we all live by faith, whether you want to believe it or not. But the truth is, if you drank a cup of coffee this morning, you believed it wasn't poisonous because you drank the whole cup. When you put your key in the starter of your car, or you push the button on your car, guess what? You believe that before you push it, the car would start. That's living by faith. And we do it every day. Everything that we do. You made plans for the future. You're going to plan on going on vacation. Right? Hasn't happened yet. You believe it well, it's faith. Fact of the matter is you can't see the spiritual realms. Right? It's like the wind. I asked a friend of mine the other day, I said, where does the wind come from? He said, I, I, I don't know. He said, can you see the wind right now? Well, no, but you can see the results of the wind. That's the spiritual. So my question to you is, in the midst of chaos and in the midst of troubles and circumstances that aren't going your way, what brings you back to center? What can keep you in a sense of joy? Right? Is it God? Is it nature? Is it meditation? Is it something else? And then the question really is, is it working for you? Right? And so what, what number would you give yourself in the spiritual area? Those four areas like the air and the tires of your car. If one of those areas is too low, like the tire of your car, your car is going to lean and veer and it's not going to roll correctly. By the same token, you know what? If all four tires are too low, what's going to happen? Right? You're going to ruin the car over the course of time. Speaking of someone who's got his tires all to the right level and all the right height, his name is Michael Tuggle. He's president of Tuggle Creative Incorporated and the former co-executive creative director at Loomis Advertising Agency. For more than 28 years, Michael uh, has used his creative and writing uh, talents to build both category leaders and challenger brands, including American Airlines, Pepsi, Papa John's, Stanley Steamer, Texas Dairy Queen. While he's been recognized regionally and nationally for his creative work, when Mike's not, Michael's not helping start Loomis on, a day, on day one, his focus 
was as much on building a company as it was on building a portfolio. That started with building the Loomis culture. In the voice of the underdog, this book that we have right here, Michael mixes his talent for storytelling with his love for the ad business to create a narrative that inspires and teaches uh, anyone committed to creating a culture that will last. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show and welcome to the first time, uh, Michael Tuggle. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Uh, I I am not making any bones about this book. I love it. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, I'm just going to start out in the preface of the book because there's something that you say there. Sure. Uh, two things. Why do we like underdogs and what is a challenger brand? Sure. So one of the things I think about underdogs is I think, I, and we we said this in the book, and I think we believe it with everything we've got. I think we're hardwired to love the underdog. Mm. Um, if you look around us, you know, one of the things, underdogs, you know, the, technically the term underdog is from an old English, you know, uh, story where literally there were dog fights and literally the dog that was under the winning dog, they <laughs> called the underdog. And so that's where we get the word from. But it's literally this idea of the scrappy, the undersized, you know, big heart, you know, that kind of thing. And so I think we're all just predisposed to love the underdog. Mm. Uh, look at the movies we love. Look at the, uh, you know, look at sports movies, right? We love Rudy. We love Hoosiers. We love, remember the Titans. Mm. We love Rocky. We love, you know, we love the stories about the ones that beat all the odds and came out on top. Mm. You know, why do we watch the Olympics? Why do we watch, you know, half of what we love, you know, in, in sports, uh, but it didn't you have to go further. Look in politics, look in uh, culture, look on TV, look in, I mean, everywhere. We love the underdog story because I think we've all been the underdog at some point. We've mm. all been picked on. Yep. We've all been bullied. We've all been in a spot where we didn't have all the, all the answers. We didn't have all the power or any of it. Mm. And we were, you know, chastised or criticized or whatever. We've all felt that. And I think, you know, we love and we sort of rally to those people and those companies that are maybe not that, you know, that they're in that spot where they don't have, uh, you know, they are getting beaten up and we love to see them succeed. And so I think we lean in because of that, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's what brought us to challenger branding. You know, challenger brands are those brands that are not the category leaders, right? They're not, they're the ones in second place, third place, seventh place, they're undercapitalized. They don't have the resources. They don't have the size or the staff or the money or the anything that the category leaders have. A lot of times, you know, category leaders, especially the behemoths, you know, they've got the money to sort of buy their way into and out of situations or opportunities or what have you. Challengers don't. They've got to have a completely different mindset. They've got to look at the world a different way, got to go at their problems a different way. And so, for us as an agency, when we set out to become, you know, the challenger brand agency, we leaned in for all the reasons we just said about loving underdogs, loving challenger brands. But it was just like, it was inherently more interesting to us, frankly. Mm. You know, your your category leaders, you know, a lot of times they tend to be pretty staid. They don't always move uh, quickly. They don't always, you know, that sometimes it's a variation on a theme. They just we know what works. They're knowers too. We know what works. You don't need to tell us anything. You don't need to, you know, we got it. We got this, you know, just, and so for us seeing challengers was an opportunity to look at things differently, 
you know, challengers don't have the resources, so they've got to lean into a currency of ideas and creativity. And for an agency, especially for somebody like me on a creative team, I, there's nothing better than that is to, you know, the, the, to live and die by your ideas, you know, cause then anything's possible. Mm. I, I am fascinated because uh, as I said in the opening, I, I, I am not the category leader, right? I, I mean, in anything, but I, I am always so interested in how I can grow and, and how I can do that. And as you point out that most challenger brands do not have the budget to often compete with the category leader. So there, we have to take a different approach as a challenger brand. And in chapter two, um, which is entitled, by the way, what challenger brands are not, uh, you you talk about state of market, state of mind, state of readiness as three factors um, that are important uh, to uh, distinguish true challenger brands from the category leader. Mm -hmm. So when we say state of market, right, um, what are we trying to get out there? So state of market, you've got to, before you can really be effective, you've got to know where you stand in the market, right? So where do you stand on the food chain, if you will? Okay. Right. So if you say you're not the category leader, okay, among corporate coaches, among speakers, authors, you know, um, you know, you're fantastic at what you do. Where do you, where do you fall? Right. Right. Where do you fall within that? And understanding, I think where you fall in that helps you to frame a lot of things, right? So you go from state of market, where am I? So state of, of mind is who am I, right? Where do I stand amongst my competition? But then who am I as a company, as a person, as a speaker, as an author? Who am I really? Like, what do I really stand for? What do I believe? What are, where do I plant my flag, right? Right. But then you've got, you know, those two things. But the third one, that state of readiness, that is I know who I am and I know where I stand but am I really willing to get into the fight? Right. And that's where the rubber meets the road. I think for most challengers is that, boy, I really believe in what we're doing and I, and I know that I can compete, but are you, are you really, really willing and ready to get into the fight and what all that means? Mm. Cause there's, that's involved, right? I work, uh, the listeners on the show are a lot of business owners, uh, small business owners, typically, um, much less than corporate business owners, but small business owners, small to medium-sized business owners and founders, that type of thing, uh, probably fairly similar to Loomis and and maybe even your own company. A lot of folks from real estate, mortgage, uh, financial services uh, listen to this show and and watch it on TV. And thank you, everybody, for doing that. You make, Mike, Michael and you, Michael and Mike, make a very big push on the importance of culture before advertising the challenger brand, what is the connection between culture and advertising the challenger brand? So one of the things that was a big deal for us in writing the book was it's not just about challenger branding. I'm I'm glad I knew we'd cover it, but um, culture is unbelievably important for everything. Mm. Um, I don't care what it is you do. I don't care how many employees you have. I don't care what your, you know, your, your company is like your culture, your employees, the people that work with you, that your team, you know, doing whatever you do, even, even me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a band of one. When I left Loomis, I created, you know, Tuggles, it's all me. I just, I just 
do what I do, but I do it. But even I, even my own whatever has a culture, right? But let's, let's talk about bigger things like agencies and companies. Your culture, it's osmotic, right? Your people are, are basically marinating in your culture every day, every week, you know, 2,000 to 3,000 hours a year. And if your culture is toxic, your people can't help it, no matter how hard they fight it, they can't help but take some of that on. Conversely, if you have a fantastic culture that's supportive and all the things I'm sure we'll talk about, mm-hmm. you know, and you curate that culture and your people help curate that culture, that also has an effect. It has an effect on what it is they do. It has an effect on the products that you make. It has a product, it has a, uh, as how you show up in the marketplace, on the shelf, in an interview, in whatever. You know, the culture that you build, if the culture's not right, you might, I mean, there are, sure, there are, there are exceptions to every rule that you can succeed, but you got to get the culture right first and, and be willing to, you know, again, curate it and, and keep making sure that it's what you need it to be if you're going to succeed. Otherwise, you're fighting uphill constantly and it's just, you can lose good people and then you have turnover to deal. It's just, it's, it, it, it just spirals and it builds on itself. Chapter three. Because everything that we do in this book, that you do in this book, um, I'm, I'm, I'm including myself now because I've read the book twice and I now want to be included with you because I love it so much. Sorry. So if I do we, uh, it's yeah. it's it's not that I read, wrote the book with you. It's just that I'm absorbed into it. So uh, forgive me for that. Chapter three, though, is why challenger brands are hard to beat. And you make a big point about resilience. Why is it that challenger brands are so much more resilient than perhaps uh, a category leader? I think you have to be, Mm. you know, I mean, for a smaller uh, challenger, if you're not resilient, you're going to die. You're not going to make it right. I mean, how many times do underdogs get knocked down? Mm. Right. We've, we've hear all the, all the cliches, you know, it's not how many times you get knocked down, how many times you get up, all those types of things but they're cliches because there's truth in them, right? Um, Challengers have to be resilient because you can't lean on, let's go back to what we talked about, about the the category leaders. When you have big budgets, when you have major revenue, when you have thousands of people at your disposal, there are a lot of things to lean on, you know, to distribute the, the work, to distribute the responsibility, the what have you. If you're a challenger, you don't have those things. You've got to be resilient. You've got to, you know, I mean, a challenger just on it by definition, you're looking at a mountain, right? I mean, well, let's go back to the, the nature of it. David and Goliath, right? Right. David looked at Goliath. David could have just run to the, run for the hills. David could have said, I'm a little guy. David could have said a lot of things. But David said, no, 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 I got this. I got this. I got God. I got five stones. I got this, you know. Challenger brand, challengers have to, have that resilient mindset mm. and they gets back to the are you ready to go to battle is you've got to have that i'm going to be relentless in my pursuit of whatever it is i'm trying to do and i'm not going to take no for an answer i'm not going to give up mm. i'm not going to stand down i'm going to keep fighting i'm going to keep finding a way you know by definition challengers is finding a way where there is no way mm. you know which we've said in the book a couple of times which i absolutely love 
because that's it. It's just being, it's that resilience of I'm going to make it and I'm not going to give up. It's beautiful. I mean, yeah, no, that's, I, I, I love that. We're, we're going to, when we come back, because we're going to take a break, uh, Michael, we're going to talk about the 12 surprising advantages of being a challenger because these 12 advantages, I think for most challengers are going to uh, maybe help put some people at ease and go, oh, wow. I, I do have, I think, give them hope. How about that? Can we say that? Give them yeah, some hope. Okay. Absolutely. All right. His name is Michael Tuggle. <laughs> he is co-author of the book, The Voice of the Underdog, How Challenger Brands Create Distinction by Thinking Culture First. You're listening to him here on A New Direction. Folks, Epic Physical Therapy, my physical therapist, I think they should be yours too. Listen, they work with professional athletes and they work with people like you and me. And listen, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Maybe you're just... It's surgery, injury. Maybe you just want to move a little bit better, whatever that might be, right? The truth of the matter is if you're looking for epic relief, epic recovery, and epic results, don't look any further. Go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft Team Realtors, listen, for more than 38 years, right? They have been helping people all over the world transition in life. And you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, the truth of the matter is every place you ever lived has been a transition in life. And they've helped thousands of people transition over the course of that time. But here's something I recently did with Linda Craft Team Realtors. I spent some time with the leadership team. And here's the one thing that I think distinguishes them above everything else. As I sat in that meeting room, everybody cared. They cared about the people that work in at Linda Craft Team, and they cared about the consumer, the customer who comes into Linda Craft Team. That's huge, because they just care. So if you are making a life transition, and you want people who really care about you as somebody who may be purchasing a home or selling your home, start with Linda Craft Team Realtors. It's lindacraft.com. It's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Michael Tuggle, co-author of the book, The Voice of the Underdog, How Challenger Brands Create Distinction by Thinking uh, uh, Culture First and uh, Outstanding. And Michael, let's uh, get right into uh, the 12 surprising advantages of being a challenger. I'm going to just set these out and then you just go ahead and hit them for me, okay? Sure. Um, first one is everyone pulls for the challenger. Why is it surprising and what are, what are we saying here? Well, I, it's kind of what we said at the, at the top, right? Everybody loves the underdog story. Mm. Um, everybody loves leaning into, you know, the, the, the one who has no, no shot, right? Right. We love cheering for that, that person, that company, that brand, um, because we love to see them succeed because we've all been there, right? right? And so, um, but I think a lot of times challengers forget that. Right. They forget that people are inherently rooting for them. Okay. Second one. Uh, competitors underestimate challengers. Yeah, so a lot of times challenger brands, I think, especially from the category leaders, they just get, they pat you on the head and they say, "Oh, isn't that cute?" <laughs> you know, uh, look, look who's trying to compete. Isn't that sweet? You know, and you know where I, I grew up in in Georgia. It's bless their heart. You know, it's like we're here in Texas. You know, <laughs> oh, say, bless their heart. Yeah, you know, we say trying. that here. Yeah, yeah, they're trying. You know, but I think you get underestimated. I think right. a lot of times. You know, I mean, my, one of our favorite stories in the in the book, one of my favorite challenger brand stories of all time is, you know, Blockbuster and Netflix. I right. mean, Blockbuster had the chance to buy Netflix twice for $50 million each. And they were like, no, nah, we got this. And then you, within literally within a year and a half, 
Blockbuster was out of business and Netflix was on the way to being Netflix. It's just a lot of times the category leaders don't really take you super seriously, but yeah. you can use that to your advantage because you can sneak up on them when they don't and they'll never even see you coming. Which is related to the next one. It's easier for challengers to fly under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. And for all those same reasons, I think right. it's just when you're underestimated, it's easier for you to just kind of move and do your thing and grow and get stronger and, and, and do some things, take market share, do things that maybe, you know, the category leaders aren't really worried about. They're not, they're not worried about you stealing, you know, they are, but they're not, they're not going to sweat, you know, half a percent, a percent, right. 2%. But for a challenger, that can be a big deal. And then all of a sudden they look up and like, Oh, we've lost 12% to these people. Right. Who are, where do they come from? Like, yeah, they've been there for the last five years. You just weren't paying attention. All right. Challengers can be more nimble. When you're smaller, you you have the opportunity to be more nimble, to move more quickly. You know, um, the difference, uh, I'll give you there, Disney and Pixar, right? Disney owns Pixar. Pixar is a fantastic film uh, company that make fantastic movies, just like Disney does. But Pixar is a company of, you know, I don't know how many now, but let's say a couple of hundred. Disney has hundreds, or not hundreds, tens of thousands, right? Right. When you have a, a category leader, when you're that big, you've got layers of bureaucracy, layers of management, layers of this. Well, you got to get approval all, you know, um, when you're smaller, you can move quicker, which is very much to your advantage. Um, okay. But, and challengers sometimes forget that. Uh, it's easier for challengers to build, adapt, and maintain their cultures. Yeah. So once you're, when you're small, again, same reason, fewer moving parts, easier to affect change. When you have a big company, it's harder to affect cultural cultural change because you've got to do it over more people, right? Mm. Um, the other thing is when cha with challengers, when you are starting, the time to think about your culture is like now, is when you're starting out, as soon as you can. Mm. And a lot of times they go, well, it's expensive and time consuming and whatever, I can't do it. No, it doesn't have to be that. It's important to start building from the jump. Um, that's one of the things I think we did really right at Loomis literally the first day we, before we even named the company and we all sat around the table from coming from different places, like, what do we want to do? We're like, well, we want to bring all the good things that we had at places we worked and leave all the toxic stuff at the door. And we started that day thinking of the kind of place we wanted to build. And I think that was huge in being able to develop it over the years and not get, you know, 15, 20 years in and go, oh yeah, we should start building a good culture. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next one, challengers remember how to hustle. Yeah, so you kind of have to, right? That's what we talked yeah. about being, you know, yeah, being uh, um, resilient. You, you just have to. You know, they, you get stuck in a spot where hustle is the only thing you got. Right. And so I think it's just a, a reminder. But again, it's one of those things. A lot of challengers, they they don't, they, I can't do it. I, no, no, no. Come on, roll up your sleeves, lean into the grit, you know, hug the cactus. Let's go, you know, get on it. Right. You can do it, but but it's going to take some hustle. It's going to take some work. Well, I think I think one of the points too that really stood out to me in this one is that challenger brands generally have more, much more limited resources, right. so they're willing to do that. I know you didn't say it exactly, but they're willing to do the things, or at least they should be willing to do the things that the category leader isn't willing to do. Yeah, with yep. their limited resources, which yeah. does I, require hustle. It does. I had a, a good friend of mine. Um, and Nancy Eichler uh, was the head of marketing for the company Brownie Brittle, if you know that brand. Mm -hmm. 
and she told a story story on our podcast one time about they had gotten a bunch of labels in uh, and the bags were all mislabeled, like all the labels were on wrong or something. And so, you know, they're, they were a small brand. And so if you're Procter & Gamble or you're, you know, General Foods or whatever, you send them back and you get them to read it, you know, they're like, no. So the CEO and Nancy and like one other person, they went down and they peeled them all off. They ironed the labels. They read, you know, I mean, that's the kind of hustle. Right. That, you know, and then you look up and they're a perfect example. You look up and five years later, you're this overnight sensation, you know, after you've been killing it for five years. But that's it. You got to do those things and you got to be willing to do those things. And challengers most of the time are. Um, and if they're not, then I, I start to question you're not really ready for the fight. Next one. Challengers often have more consolidated leadership. Yeah. Again, being smaller, you know, and I, I, sometimes I think, you know, you have more, whether it's one person or whether it's a small leadership team, I, you, you have a smaller group. Therefore, you can all get on the same page when you're in a, a category leader. I mean, how many division heads does Coca-Cola have? Right. right I mean, right. It, it, and they all do very, you know, in different things and what have you. But it's just when you have fewer people, I think you can consolidate your leadership and your vision a little bit easier, and a little bit quicker. All right. Challenges can go where big brands can't or won't. I think a lot of times um, category leaders get a little stayed in their ways. They get a little, and, and there's more to lose. I mean, if you think about it, there's more to lose when you are the, when you're the category leader, when you're big, when you've got a lot of massive revenue, a lot of fans, whatever, there's more for them to lose, right? Mm -hmm. Underdogs, they're not, they're, they're scrapping to compete anyway. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think challengers can take those opportunities, take those chances where a big brand go, I don't know. I don't know if we want to take that. We might make somebody angry. We might, you know, uh, anger this cohort or, or well, those people might drop us or whatever. Whereas underdog brands are like, we're willing to take the chance because the upside right. is so big, Right. you know, not to go looking to offend people, but just they right. might take chances that maybe a bigger brand wouldn't right. because they have to, right. you know? Yeah, no, I get it. All right, challengers. This one, this one was really interesting to me because I didn't see this. This was not all the other ones so far. I've kind of got like, okay, I get it. Yeah. But challengers attract talent who want to make a difference. Help. Yeah. So there's something exciting about working on challenger brands, and it takes the right person. Um, some people don't, right? Some people want to go, and it's not that, like, even a creative person. It's not that I don't want to go work on. Yeah, Really, I, you know, I want to go work on million dollar brands with million dollar budgets. So I can go shoot TV spots in Europe and, oh, I don't want that. It's like, yeah, you do. Every, every creative wants to do that. But there's also something interesting about working on a brand where you have to be a little more creative, a little more. Um, it's just not easy. Mm -hmm. It's harder. I mean, let's, let's be fair about it. Challenger branding is not for the faint of heart. It's, it's, right. it's harder than having somebody to throwing, you know, let's say a television commercial, a million dollars, they go shoot a spot. Mm. Now you still have to have a great idea, but it's a lot easier to shoot a million dollar commercial than it is to shoot one for 50 grand, right? Well, and so, right. Well, and, and what you're, what you also say in this piece is that you, you refer back to Simon Sinek, mm -hmm. um, that, that very few people in organizations know why they right. do what they do. Is it typical then that challenger brands have are, are more focused on their why than maybe say a category leader? I think some of them are. 
I think some of them are, mm-hmm. right? So it's sort of a, I, I'll, I'll throw out one of our favorite pairings, right? So I'm not questioning McDonald's at all. I mean, McDonald's sure. is a fantastic brand, has been forever and whatever. You know, if you had to rate the the level to which whatever their why is, McDonald's leaned into their why and the level that Chick-fil-A leans into their why, <laughs> I think I would say Chick-fil-A probably leans into their why better than most, yes. people, most brands I know, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I think you could make the same argument for Southwest Airlines. <laughs> sure. You know, albeit the the challenges they've had, you know, with the whatever and the Christmas, but um, you know, when you look at challengers, I do think they lean into their why a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, and I do think, and I do back to your original thing, I do think that certain people are drawn to challengers. Um, look at millennials. You know, when you ask them, well, what do you want out of a job? You know, what are you looking for? I want to make a difference. I mean, twenty year olds, right. I want to make a difference. Right, right. It's not. I want a big salary. I want lots of vacation. I want whatever. That's important, kind of, but it's like I want to make a difference. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's sort of that challenger yeah. ethos. It's that challenger mindset of we can do things differently. Yeah. We can lean in in a whole new way. Yeah. And so. Well, which is related to the next one. Challenge you. You have challengers have a change the game mindset. Yeah, and that's and that's really it too. And and, and part of that is necessity, right? They right. have to change. They have to change the game. Right. Challengers don't win. By saying, how can I do what the category leader does? Right. Trying to do what they do right. as well or even better than they do. You're not going to do that for a lot of reasons. Even if you can do right. it better, you're not positioned for enough people to know you do it better. Right. Right. Challengers don't, they don't win by, by, you know, playing the game better. They, they, they win it by changing it. Right. They win it by completely changing the rules. Right. Let's go back to our example a second ago with Netflix. Netflix said, uh, we think people are going to want to get their movies in their mailbox. This is before you could even do streaming. Right, like, right, right. They'd rather do that. And Blockbuster's like, no, no, no. They love us. Nobody's going to not come down the street to their favorite video store. Everybody <laughs> do that forever. And Netflix said, well, okay, but no, we think, we think we're going to change right. things up and we're going to do different. Right. And sometimes it works and sometimes it didn't. But in that, that case, it, it clearly did. Right. Well, the, the thing that you both say in this book is that, so I think this is true so often of challenger brands, is they just think that if they mimic what the category leader does, that somehow that's going to make them successful. And it's it's a it's the wrong mindset because they have to have a disruptor mindset. How are we going to disrupt, you know, right. the industry from our little niche, right? And I think that's that's the part where often I think sometimes challenger brands can get stuck is they keep trying, they keep trying to do what the leader is doing and it just doesn't work. Yeah. They, they want to the, mimic the marketing. They want to, it doesn't work that way. No. One of the fundamental things about challengers is that challenger brands have to know who they're for, mm. but they just as equally have to understand who they're not for. Mm. And they have to understand they're not for everybody and that's okay. Mm. That's beautiful. All right, Southwest now, Airlines is not for business travelers. Right, right, right. It's American and United are for. Right, right, right. Okay. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. Okay, so next one. For challengers, time is of the essence. Yeah, you got to go. You, you just got to go. We can, we, can, we can sit around and talk about things and dream up things and everything's on paper and plan it and map it out and have, you know, you know leadership 
team mm-hmm. conferences. We, we could talk about it forever, you know, right. for, for, for challengers, the time you got to go, right. you know, the, I think it's, I think it's a Steve jobs goes like fail quickly and fell off. And, right. you know, it's like, it's let's go right. try it, do, do something right. because I mean, you don't have the resources to not try things. Right. You know? Right. Right. Uh, you just don't. And right. so let's go, let's just do something. Uh, last one is no one expects challengers to win. Yeah. Again, being under, under un, uh, unestimated, you know, underestimated. I, yeah. Nobody expects right. the challenger to come out on top. Right. I mean, a lot of times you'll hear challengers, you hear athletes all the time. Nobody believed I could win, but me. Right. You know, we go back to, uh, if, you know, if you're, 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 you're probably my age, you know, you remember Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson. Sure. Nobody believed Buster Douglas had a shot. Sure. You know, he, he was out of shape. His mother had just died. It was in Tokyo. Tyson was killing everybody in 60 seconds. Right. Nobody believed he could win, but he did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, and, I, 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 remember, yeah, I remember reading it the next day. Yeah. I was like, that didn't happen. I was, right. in, I went in denial. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I went into denial. I was like, that didn't happen. Yeah. All right, let's move on to now culture, a little bit more about culture, because you say sure. culture starts at the top, culture is powerful, so is the perception of it. And then you give us this little headline called Brands Are Feelings. What? What do you mean there, Michael? So one of our favorite quotes about branding, and it's really super true, I think, for challenger brands. There's a there's a guy, an author named Joe Calloway, mm-hmm. who wrote a book called Becoming a Category of One. Mm-hmm. And in it, Joe's definition of branding is that your brand is what people think it's like to do business with you. Mm. Mm. Brands, when you really strip them down, really are about feelings. How do I feel about your brand? Mm. I can read, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a current example right now. I, you and I had never met before. No. Everything no. I knew about you, I saw one of your videos this morning but I also had read a bunch of your background. I read, you know, on, you know, your website, LinkedIn, whatever I knew about you. I knew what you did, but I can't get how dynamic you are, how smart you are, how articulate you are, how emotional you are. I can't get any of that. Mm, right. Right. Until we met and had a little bit of a conversation, right? It's a feeling right. and brands are the same way. People develop loyalty to brands based on emotion, not based on it saved me 20 cents or it was cheesier right. or you know it's how did you make me feel right in the moment um you know we have clients that aren't perfect they have their shortcomings right. and yet people absolutely love them and like well why is that because i love the way i feel when i'm here i love the way i feel when i wear that or i drive that or you know no, uh, I, 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 Dr. Amy Cuddy, who was at Harvard and is now at Northeastern, uh, had done a variety of research on, you know, why people buy from salespeople or businesses or, you know, whether it's business to business or uh, business to uh, consumer. And she said that compassion wins over competence all the time. And it's exactly the same thing that you're saying is how you make people feel is far more important than how competent you might be as a professional. Mm-hmm. And and that's so true. I don't know that people I don't know that people want to embrace that. I think there is still and, and you've probably run across this too, Michael, where you still run across leadership that is believing and I, and I believe wrongly and I, I maybe I'm speaking for you, but I think you may too, 
They're believing that if they get more competent and they're more professional, that somehow that's going to make the brand more exciting. But there is nothing more, there's nothing more, there's nothing exciting about a brand that's stiff. I'm sorry. I don't know how else to say it. Do I got that wrong? No, you're right. I mean, because it just, I mean, it just feels, you know, when we, when we care about, you know, we care about each other, we care about you, care about our people. I mean, you're right. It's how we feel about it at the end of the day is what's going to make the difference in the brand. And when I walk into a grocery store, my brain is not going through a list of brand attributes mm. and nutritional information mm. and whatever. I might check that. Right. That's not why I'm reaching that last three feet between me and the product on the shelf. Right. Right. It, it's all about how does that product make me feel? Mm-hmm. What's what's the sum of my experiences with that? Right. You know what I mean? It's just. Um, Oh, well, let's go back to Chick-fil-A. Same thing, right? Oh, they yeah. Have great, they have a great chicken sandwich. They have a great food. They have great everything. But the thing that, but but how do they make me feel right. when someone, when I walk again, when I walk into a fast food place and there's a kiosk in the lobby, <laughs> they don't even want me to talk to a human being to give me their order. I have to do it myself on the right. kiosk and then just pick it up versus rolling through the drive through at Chick-fil-A right. and talking to three different people who took my order, confirmed my order, thanked me for my order, and yep. said, "My pleasure." Right. Um, we're thankful that you're here. I mean, come on, that that's <laughs> a whole different level, but it's a feel thing. It's not right. Uh, they have look. We can debate whether they have the best chicken sandwich or not from Georgia. <laughs> I'll tell you they do. But regardless, <laughs> um, we can debate that all day long. But it doesn't matter. It's not about the chicken sandwich. It is, but it's not. It's about how you feel going right. to that place that I feel good about being a, a part of that brand. That's awesome. So. That That's that's fantastic. His name is Michael Tuggle, the book, The Voice of the Underdog, How Challenger Brands Create Distinction by Thinking Culture First. Uh, it's fantastic. When we come back, we're going to talk about customers first, question mark? Not so fast, my friend. You're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, Epic Physical Therapy. Listen, you know what? They have the most cutting-edge treatments and uh, they're certified in the most uh, cutting-edge treatment. They have the most equipment uh, that's just cutting-edge. It's the Ultra-G anti-gravity treadmill, the Normatec compression sleeves, the Game Ready. They do blood flow restriction therapy, dry needling, cupping. That's just a few. Listen, when you're ready for your epic relief, your epic recovery, your epic results, don't look any further. Go to epicpt.com. It's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. Linda Crafted Team Realtors. Let me tell you about them. I, I, I did spend, I spent a great deal of time with them. And I got to tell you something. They just really care. <laughs> they really do. They really care about each other. They care about what what they who they are, what they are, and and how they can improve. And they and it's just was refreshing to hear uh that level of caring. Um not just for themselves, but how they care about the customer when they walk in the door and when they leave and even after. So listen, when you're ready to sell or buy your home, don't look any further. Just go to Linda Craft and Team Realtors. It's, it's, it's lindacraft.com. It's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with my uh, friend. I'm going to call him friend. Michael Tuggle, uh, author of the book, 
Um, the voice of the underdog, how challenger brands create distinction by thinking culture first. I have to look at the title, Michael, because I'm afraid I'm going to mess up challenger brands, create distinction, thinking and culture. There's some, there's, there's three C words in there and there's some, um, enunciation issues that can absolutely happen if I don't, if I don't look at that title. So, uh, so forgive me for, uh, uh not having it completely and totally memorized. Um, by the way, I want to right either. <laughs> uh, by the way, I want to just thank everybody who has been writing in. Holy cow. Um, all of you who've been writing in and uh, asking us and, you know, commenting. Actually, you just need to know, Michael, there's a lot of people writing in right now um, that they're they're chiming in um, saying good stuff. Great show. So you just need to know that um, you're you're hitting it out of the park, uh, my friend, for sure. Um, with that. Uh, chapter five says uh, customers first. Not so fast. This chapter was awesome. All right. They've all awesome. This one was awesome because we have a tendency to want to go, you know, you take care of your customer, you know, it's all going to be fine. And then Kip Tyndall, founder and CEO of the Container Store, and others like him changed that upside down. Talk to us about why maybe it's not customers first. So, yeah. So, so Kip's. They asked him, you know, how do you do? Because the container store is one of those legendary challengers as well. Mm. You know, how do you do it? You know, customers first, right? And I think Mike, I think Mike went to a conference. Mike Sullivan, our my co-author, and at Loomis, I think Mike went to a, a conference, if I remember right. And Kip was speaking, and and that was the 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 theme of his speech was, um, yeah, no, you don't take care of your customers first. We take care of our employees first. And he said you could have heard a pin drop. Because it's a room full of people that were focused on taking care of their customers. Mm. It's like, whoa, whoa what, what, what am I missing? Mm. And the idea behind that is just that if you take care of your own people first, it's not that you do it in, in exchange for taking care of your customers. Mm. But taking care of your people first is critical to be able to do whatever it is you do to take care of your customers on the back end. Mm. Um you know, Tony Shea, the late CEO of uh, Zappos, you know, mm-hmm. was another giant proponent of this. You know, um, Tony did a whole big program that the training program at Zappos is phenomenal. You literally go through like a three month process. And at the end of it, I think they offer you, I think it's $5,000 to quit. Yeah. After, it's after the third year, right? It's a, it, it increases every year for three years. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Three. Yeah. And then, and then, they, yeah. And they, and they, they incent you to quit right. because they're so so sure about hiring the right people and taking care of the right people, mm. you know? And, and so that's really what that's about is if you take care of your own people first, number one, it sends a message to them that's super important in terms of building a great culture, but also the, the benefit on the back end is you, they will take care of your customers for mm. sure. Mm. One of the things in chapter eight, uh, you talk about just real briefly, I, I because it, it's very, I mean, we say it, but it's very rarely, pointed out in a book and you talk, we're talking about culture and you, you're building off the Zappos um, being intentional about their culture and et cetera and so forth. But we talk about shared success where we go, we, where, where we go one, we go all, but then you say something and that is family and friendship. The golden rule is the most important rule. How does that play out? in terms of, of being so important, right? Yeah, it's not always easy. Mm. Um, 
the, what, one of the things that we loved about the golden rule is if you look at any organized religion, any of them, mm. look at Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, any of them, every one of them has some version of the golden rule. And I don't mean a version like an abstract version. I mean like within two or three words. Mm. That sentiment is so critical to who we are as people, who we are as colleagues, friends, you know, I think to, I mean, if you think about it, if you do the, you know, do as others, I mean, really, do you need another rule? I mean, if you, if we all lived by that, right. You know, in a, in a, in a setting where we're colleagues and where we're working together closely, I mean, let's be fair about it, Jay, we spend more time working with our colleagues than we do spending time with our families. Yeah. And, and, and yet, you know, all the things that we lean into with our families, respect and honor and, you know, all those types of things, we don't always necessarily lean into those things as, as colleagues. Right. It, it can be more difficult for whatever reason. And so one of our tenants was we're going to treat each other the way we'd like to be treated. And if we can do that, we're not always going to get it right, but if we can do that on a, on a more regular basis, I think we've got a good foundation for, you know, something positive. I think the piece that we miss and correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but is it's the issue of loving the other person more than me. Mm -hmm. Because I think what happens is we all love me, right? I think it was, uh, I can't remember, uh, I can't remember the wide receiver who played, you know, I love me some me. Uh, I can't remember his name now, Uh, played for San Francisco for years. Um, But we all love me some me. Right, we all want what we want. We have we have oftentimes selfish motivations, selfish ambitions. But can we put those aside and love someone else in our business more than we love ourselves? Yeah, that's not an, that's not an easy. That's a tough ask. Sure. Well, we're not married. We're not we're not wired that way. Right. We're, right. not, we're not wired that way. You know, my my one of my tenants. My you know, I'm going to be. Uh, my 32nd, 32 years anniversary coming up in December. Mm. And one of my tenants in my, uh, in my marriage has always been, you know, uh, I, or mine or anybody else's is I think if you can love the other person, think about the other person before you think about yourself. I do think that's a tenant for success. Yeah. No, my, it's not how, but it's not how we're wired, even in a marriage. Yeah. You right. know, it's not how you're married. You're not wired. And then when you get into a work situation, because none of us want to be a sucker. Right. None of us want to be taken advantage of. None right. of us want to, lean forward and take the first step and then have somebody take advantage of that. Right. But if we can let ourselves do that, right. In the right culture, in the right environment where everybody is leaning into that, then I think it works. We did a really good job of that at Loomis. You know, we had, Hey, we didn't do everything well, but that was one of the things we did do well. And it was funny when people didn't fit that culture, it showed up really fast. Like we recognized, they recognized really quickly. You know what? This is not, this is not my jam. So Yeah. I don't know if we could do this in a few minutes, but we're going to try. Sure. Okay. All right. So chapter 10, it's not about foosball, <laughs> the real elements of great culture. Uh, a lot of people want to, you know, make the cool space for the Gen Y, Gen Z. Um, but that may get them in the door, but it's never going to keep them. Right. And you talk about we've got to move beyond being cool, right? And there's a lot of research. By the way, you, you do research from the Coca-Cola study. You do research from the Cigna study 
or no, it was the Cigna study and the UCLA yep. study yep. about how lonely Gen, Gen Z and Gen uh, and millennials are. Yep. But there is the cultural magnificence seven that I would like us to just kind of, and if we can't make it, we can't. Uh, first one, cultural magnificence seven for a great culture that's going to be successful as a challenger brand, safety. Right. Safety's basic. Safety's basic from if you can't feel safe in your environment, Every, you, I mean, you can't focus on anything else. Okay. And so we're talking physical safety, mental, spiritual, emotional. Um, a lot of talk about, you know, the mental, the, the state of mental health in, in, in America. Mm-hmm. We've got to stop looking at it as a, as a liability and as a problem and whatever and start leaning in. How, again, loving the other person. How can, how can we help? Mm-hmm. How can we make sure you feel more comfortable? And I'm not talking about treating people like snowflakes. I'm right. talking about treating them like human beings and going, we're all, we're all struggling with something. Right. We've all got something going on. We all have struggles and things that pop up. You know, how can we help each other? So safety's first, for sure. All right, vulnerability. Vulnerability is a tough one because for it, it's a it, our 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 uh, our way we've been conditioned is its weakness. Vulnerability right. equals weakness, and it's not. Read everything, but you can get your hands on by Brene Brown. Um, yeah. Vulnerability is huge. If you can show vulnerability to the people that especially work under you, but even the people that work above you, mm. without the fear of being taken advantage of, again, it fosters a culture that a lot of great things can can happen. But it, it takes, you know, being willing to, you know, to be vulnerable. Yeah, well, which means that you have to admit that, you know, where's your you don't know everything. Yeah. yeah, do you know your shortcomings, right? Right. Um, purpose. <clears throat> Purpose is a big one. It's also one we talk about and we overuse it a ton, right? We need to know what our purpose is. And we go off and we do, you know, uh, you know, conferences to try to figure out our purpose. You know, it's, it's a, it is a process, um, you know, in the book and with our clients, we, we, we walk them through that mm-hmm. visions, values, purpose. It's, it's critical. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to start knowing where you're going. You got to start what it is you stand for. What's your, we talk about a lighthouse identity. What's your what's your one thing that you want to put a flag in the ground about that that what your company's going to stand for? So, uh, belonging that's a big one that we belonging is a huge one. People need a, it's a, belonging tends to be a little more emotional. It's a sense of belonging, right? Do I fit here? Do I belong here? Um, back to your lone your loneliness study that you you know from from Cigna and from UCLA. Um, Loneliness is more detrimental to your health than obesity and smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Mm. Loneliness is a killer, literally. And giving people a sense that they belong and giving them reasons to believe that they belong um, is huge in both building your culture, but also in how well they perform within your company. Mm. If they don't feel like they belong, if they feel like an outsider, you know, how how can you expect anybody to lean in? Yep. it's so, I mean, the, the statistics you quoted here are staggering. I mean, it's, 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 it's scary. It's scary that, that how lonely, I mean, you have an, listen, challenge a brand. You're looking for the next young talent, help them belong because they're the loneliest generation, including currently and statistically, includingly currently are elderly. That's yeah. how lonely they are. That, yeah, I couldn't believe it when I read it. I had to read it multiple times. I, I did too. literally couldn't believe it. But if you've met 18 to 25-year-olds yep. right now, go talk to them and you, you'll understand. Right. 
Uh, by the way, Bob Heidelberg wrote in, the guy I was trying to think of was Terrell Owens, uh, who oh, said, yeah. I love me some me. <laughs> um, all right, listen, we're, 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 we're out of time, but I'll just say there's creative, creativity, connection, uh, and North Star leadership um, are the, the final seven. Uh, Michael, you've been great. This has been a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Absolutely. Uh, uh, will you tell people how they can get a hold of you? Sure. So you can reach, um, well, let me give you the agency because yeah. that's the important part. So you can reach uh, the Loomis Agency. is just uh, the Loomis Agent, the T-H-E, LoomisAgency.com. Um, Mike Sullivan is the uh, CEO and president of Loomis. He's my co-author. Uh, Mike's an extraordinary leader, uh, extraordinary in, in everything he does with challengers, with the agency. Um, the agency has, we've got a, a full blueprint to walk a challenger through. Yep. If you think you might be, don't know. We're, we're, they are they are wonderful people who do it the right way. So yeah, theelinusagency.com. Yeah, the blueprint is amazing. By the way, folks, if you're looking for a blueprint, how can I do these things? You know, belonging. It's they actually have it written out for you. How they walk them through. What are the signs? What are the questions you should ask? What are the signs to know if you're being successful? It's phenomenal, folks. This is the show. You know what I say to you every week, right? You have three things that are always within your control. That's your attitude, your effort, and your resiliency. I know circumstances can be tough. It doesn't matter. Those things live inside you and you can control your attitude, your excellence, and your resilience because you are the only one who can get back up again. I'm going to be back next week with another great guest. It's going to be another great book. It's going to be another great show. As I say to you all over the world, you had a lot of choices. You chose us. I am so grateful. And as I say to you everywhere, all over, ciao. You can find the strength to go a different way. Your dreams will take you places you have never